Reading in Church, a proud partner with Audible.com. Previously on Reading in Church and Other Distractions. That that comes up a number of times in the, the New Testament, the urgent uh, pressure of hospitality. It's an urgent task. I don't think that we feel that at all. So it's not a like a go-to for a parable or a metaphor. But... Like, like so when someone shows up at the house and you need to feed them kind of mm-hmm. situation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I've told the story, but it's really uh, interesting. Well, one of the the uh, non-optional social obligations in the Deep South is to provide uh, food when someone dies. And uh, mm-hmm. my father-in-law uh, died early. It was early in the morning. It was about 7, 30, 8 o'clock. And uh, they rushed him to the hospital, and uh, he had died. And um, I get a phone call from Cindy probably at 8.30. And uh, she, I hang up the phone. Cindy says, you know... Um, Daddy died this morning, and I said, oh, "Okay, well, thanks for letting me know." There are people here know. with casseroles. Let me know what. I, well, this is the funny thing that happens. I hang. I li- this literally happened. I hang up the phone. My hand is still on the phone on the wall. This is back when phones hung on the walls. I hang the phone on the wall, and the doorbell rings. Wow. And I go to the doorbell, and this woman hands me a chocolate bunt cake and says, oh, "Just my. heard about Mr. Charlie. Sorry to hear about that." Wow. <laughs> that was what time? In the... That was eight thirty in the morning. Oh my goodness! And uh, so and he's got so... a chocolate bunt bun cake behind glass with a little <laughs> hammer next to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in case of death, in case break of glass. Funeral break glass. <laughs> um, but apparently, a lot of these older families there listen to police scanners, and that's how they got the information. But. Uh, they they had it before. Right? <laughs> yes, it's a true story. And so I literally hung up the phone. Well, in a and, small town, there's not as much it, entertainment. So well, yeah. And so I had a chocolate bunt cake in my hands <laughs> with little shards of glass in it. <laughs> right, right. Welcome to reading in church and other distractions with Rob and Mike. Welcome back to the podcast. I am Robert Wallace. And I'm your best buddy, Uncle Mike. Yeah, yeah. Well, who might actually be audible, audible this week. We're yeah. really excited about that. Out of my cave. We're out of my try. cardboard box. <laughs> We're going to try and not do an artisanal <laughs> podcast anymore. I tell people, so. don't put me in a box, and yet they put... <laughs> you certainly were in a well that time, well, that's for sure. But I did bust out of the box. Well, these are the readings for August 26, 2018. It is <laughs> This title's not going to be out of the box, I hope. <laughs> it's proper 16, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. So we have four texts. We're doing the consecutive readings. So that's uh, 1 Kings 8. And I'm just going to say selections from because mm-hmm. they're all over the page on that. Yep. Uh, and Psalm 84. And then in the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. And, and I think, let me guess. Finally done with John. More John. Yeah. And yeah. They didn't even go, didn't even go all the way to the end. I can't believe it. They stopped <laughs> a, a verse or two short. So Well, I don't think they started exactly at the beginning either. So maybe that's Yeah. Maybe that's appropriate then. I don't know. So well, I hope that you've had a good week. I hope that you will like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, um, send us an email at readinginchurch at gmail dot com. Um Leave a review on iTunes if you haven't done that. And much thanks to those of you who have. That has been very affirming to see. Um, and send a letter to the text this week, which I was just on yeah. the website. It's not We're not connected. It's still not right. On the text this week. That is a phenomenal resource, I've got to say. Um, use the resource and see if you can't get them to fix our link <laughs> yeah. while we're on it. That would be awesome. Right. For iTunes, yeah. For iTunes, yeah. yeah. So um, anything that we should... Uh, 
talk about we were catching up for half an hour i know yes. before this started between and, uh, uh yeah between tech problem solving and catching up i learned about his new roomba and uh i, do. I my I do. dog is actually uh has a tick where he eats lint after dinner so we both have a roomba but mine is mine has even more quirks than his uh, mine has i i have actually placed googly eyes on top of right mine, so yeah, yeah. It does create a nice effect i can't i don't have a pet but i can fight with my roomba <laughs> Get that out of your mouth. Let the cord go. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, and and you're and it re- obeys Alexa. It does. My it, it re- dog does not obey anybody. So, <laughs> so yes, I've had Alexa doing all sorts of things. So, well, anyway, all right. Well, I'm ready if you're ready. Yeah, let me let me take a run at the First Kings eight. All right. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral houses of the Israelites, before King Solomon in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. Oh, humidity can be that way. Yeah, it's tough. You're in We've D.C. Had that problem here in, in August. D.C., yeah. yeah. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven. He said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and steadfast love for your servants who walk before you with all their heart. The covenant that you keep for your servant, my father David, as you declared to him, you promised with your mouth and have this day fulfilled with your hand. You have to, okay, if I don't remember, I'm going to ask this. I want to know, how is this, is this the fulfillment of the covenant? Or maybe some promises. Okay. Therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant, my father David, that which you promised him, saying, there shall never fail you a successor before me. To sit on the throne of Israel, if only not exactly what God says. A little self-serving there. there. (laughs) If only your children look to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you promised to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer in his plea, O Lord my God, heeding the cry and the prayer that your servant prays to to you today, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may heed the prayer that your servant prays toward his place. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. O hear in heaven your dwelling place, heed and forgive." Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a distant land because of your name, for they shall hear of your great name, your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when a foreigner comes and prays toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that the foreigner calls to you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and so that they may know that your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. That's a very interesting text. Yeah, it's uh, quite a little celebration that we have going on here. Yeah. Um, you'll, you might have noticed that uh, God is curiously absent in this little ceremony, <laughs> apart from the glory that the cloud. came. 
um, the uh, guy that's not then. I mean, this is the first real appearance by God in the past couple of chapters. Oh, um, okay. The design, the planning, the building, um, that all was Solomon. Okay. Uh, and it, it really, to me, is contrasted directly with what was going on with the tabernacle. Um, in Exodus, you have mm-hmm. God's initiative, you have God's plans, you have God's timing, you have God's mm, method. Yeah. And in the building of the temple, it Solomon gets contractors from Phoenicia, yeah. gets the materials on credit from Hiram of Tyre, and right. you know it's it's a it's completely different. I mean, he he outsources a lot of it. Um, he, he puts a lot of it on a credit card, which you know, yeah, th- they're good okay. for convenience yes. sake, but sooner yeah. or later those uh, bills come due. Uh, and, I know my uh, my family watches these house hunters things. It's like. And they're over budget already, you know. Right, yeah, and and the at the end of the story, um, Hiram, the king of Tyre, comes to settle and says, "So you know, we've been calling you, and it's been going right to voicemail. Um, mm-hmm. What's up?" And yeah, and so Solomon says, "Well, I mean, I don't have on me, but uh, but I tell you what, what if I give you uh, some of the <laughs> land of Israel?" And so that's what he does. He actually gives some of the land up by Phoenicia. So he actually gives away part of the promised land <laughs> to pay for these building projects that he's that he's um, just crazy with. Wow. Um, you know, the temple is obviously central focus and God does seem to um, work with this temple and is in the temple. Mm-hmm. And um, and obviously that figures very prominently and positively in, uh, say, Ezekiel and other places. But uh, I, I still wonder how positively we're supposed to read this experience. Um, hmm. I, I will say that uh, the promise that Solomon quotes a God as giving sounds a little more like the promise yeah. in, well, it sounds a little more like Psalm 89 than it does Second Samuel 7, which we read just mm-hmm. a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it does have the conditional that allows for God to, yeah. to leave. Mm-hmm. And there are several places where Solomon tries to make the point that, of course, you don't live in a building. Um, right. And, of course, there's nothing in the Ark of the Covenant except the tablets that Moses brought. And there's not, I mean, they try to do everything they can to not make it seem as though God is being contained. Oh, yeah. Well, um, and all this language about the foreigner, it's... Uh, right. It's ideals that uh, certainly are not fully embodied in the first century when I'm studying temple. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so it, it yeah, temple is a tough thing. It, it, there certainly was a need to centralize worship in this, or at least add some quality control to these local high places where there were sites of syncretism. <laughs> cool. but, uh, the franchise is really suffering. Something, it really was. It really was. Uh, but like I said last week, this makes, this makes Solomon the gatekeeper for God. Yeah. Uh, there's a oh, royal yeah. palace mm-hmm, in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, Roomba, and, and it, Roomba, return to your station, it, <laughs> your charging station. It domesticates. Yeah. It really domesticates God mm-hmm. in a way that I don't know that God's particularly happy about. I mean, he, he expressed that back in second Samuel seven, where mm-hmm. boy, I, I didn't have a temple. I, yeah. I like the freedom of movement yeah. of the tabernacle yeah. and, mm-hmm. um, and the I will say the word that is used uh, when God's dwelling is in the temple, when Solomon does use that, um, it is a word for sort of permanent living. It's not the word, oh. it's not the the residing word like you get. It's not tabernacle language. It is, it is mm-hmm. God lives here language. Okay. Um, and of course, this comes to be a, 
I don't know, a, a talisman, if nothing else, that as long as the temple is there, as long as God is there, there was that belief, well, God won't let anything happen to his temple. Yeah. I mean, this is his house, right. and right. God will let anything happen to his house, which which is why Ezekiel has the vision of God moving. Until his <laughs> son shows up every time he goes to Jerusalem. It's messing up the house. <laughs> messing up the furniture. In, in Ezekiel, you have the vision of God leaving the temple, and the message is, okay, you know what? This is just a building now, yeah. you know, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and so God can destroy it. Yeah. So uh, you do get this nice long um, dedication of the temple. It, it does, like you said, it has some wonderful idealized language here mm-hmm. about you know the, the the stranger that comes and prays, and right. even though they're a stranger, have regard from them. Yeah, what well, has acknowledged mm-hmm. acknowledging all the tension or some of the tensions in having a temple, but you got to yeah, is this just lip service? Yeah, this is right. interesting. Right. Huh. So. Um, what else do I want to say? I don't know what else I want to say. Um. This is an interesting, you know, I, I, sh- I think I shared that story on the podcast about um, having a Shabbat meal in Jerusalem on the Temple mm-hmm. Mount with the rabbi who had moved from St. Louis. Right. S- stab me if you've heard this joke before. <laughs> <laughs> a New Testament teacher and a rabbi. <laughs> so there's this New Testament professor and a rabbi. Having a Shabbat a meal Shabbat on the on Temple the Mount. Mount in Jerusalem. <laughs> Worst joke ever. Yeah. And and I asked him, I was querying him around Isaiah 6 vision, but uh, this this is just as fitting. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it can't contain you. And uh, likewise, the foreigner, you know, it's basically putting on an equal footing. The, it's God who's present to the foreigner. He's not, all, he's not just in this temple. And, he, and if a foreigner comes to this temple, that he will regard his prayers the same. So, um, and yeah. When you say Isaiah 6, you mean Isaiah 2? Or do you mean Isaiah 6? I mean Isaiah 6, the vision in the temple. Uh, that, Where Isaiah has the vision in the temple? Yeah, the tension between um, God's glory filling the temple, like here, and God's glory filling uh-huh. the earth, and uh, bringing to uh-huh. the surface the, the the symbol of a temple that actually is gotcha. symbolizing the cosmos, that, that God doesn't just dwell in this house. When properly understood, mm. right. this is a model or a, a lens for understanding God's presence in creation, But right. um, which was the kind of the substance of our discussion with the rabbi. It's like who had moved to that zip code for that reason. So it wasn't, it was a, it was a, uh, not a fair question, but I was asking, yeah. is, is this, is this where God lives basically? Or, or mm-hmm. is this a way to understand how God is everywhere? And he was, and so they danced around that right. question <laughs> for about half an hour. <laughs> Because I was thinking, when you said Isaiah 6, I was thinking of Isaiah 2, right? Where uh-huh. the mountain of the Lord will, and all the nations will stream yeah. into it. Uh-huh. And you get that idealized eschatological vision there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that notion of temple and creation, that there's a connection there that we don't normally, we don't normally make assumptions, I think, or make the associations right. that right. the biblical text does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Genesis 1 has a lot of temple language and yeah. certainly... Uh, mm-hmm as you point out, revelation and creation does as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So I still don't like Solomon, but okay. you know, <laughs> so it's a nice prayer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We can see right through him. Okay. Yeah. He's, it, it is like you said, it's a pretty self-serving kind of prayer. <laughs> and, uh, and he has, he has financed this whole project and he's got to pay for it. I mean, I just think about how, all the wealth of Israel was contributed to the building project and 
and they all brought as they had and everybody had something to contribute and the skills of Israel mm-hmm. were builders mm-hmm. or giving or whatever, weavers, whatever. And then in the temple, it's, you know what? We could probably shop this out to Phoenicia. Yeah. We're just going to leverage and, this. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, I think we could do because they do. I mean, they Phoenician temples are nice, so All I right. think we got to do something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's too. We're too big to fail. I mean, we yeah. could incur a debt. Like, what are they going to do? Call their call it in? <laughs> yeah, they did, and uh, <laughs> and as a result, they lost. Um, it's a wonderful little negotiation. If you're standing in the market in the old city in Jerusalem, you would see a negotiation exactly like Hiram and Solomon's there mm. uh, in uh, oh, is it nine or ten mm-hmm. where? Uh, it's nine where they're actually having this, uh, having this, what, what is this land you gave me? In fact, Hiram actually named it, uh, good for nothing. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good for nothing. Yeah. Land uh-huh. br- bring the price down. Really? You think yeah. this settles yeah. our debt? Oh yeah. gosh, yeah. I am being robbed here to yeah. give you this, but okay. Okay. You know yeah. what? You're a friend. You married my daughter. All right. You know what? Fine. But, oh, I'm taking a loss. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm sure we could probably think of a movie where we see that sort of thing too. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, uh, anyway. well, it, I mean, when, when we talk about this, I, I just got to wonder how our, our, our podcast audience, <laughs> such both as of them, <laughs> I wonder how both of them hear this because we're so critical. We're, we're so, yeah, we you are. know, uh, almost, you know, higher critics, but, but on the other hand, we're just saying what Samuel said, you know, <laughs> the downside of kingship. Yes. So it's these, the tension in something like Samuel Kings is so, mm-hmm. is so different. It's not there in Chronicles, right? Chronicles is just no, all no, very positive. positive. So, yeah. so it's, it's a, it's kind of mysterious when I read through Samuel Kings, like, wow, there's, it's real mixed well, bag. And I wonder, I wonder if we're, we're not seeing it as well, because like I said, when Solomon is evaluated, mm-hmm. it is exactly the Deuteronomy 17. This yeah. is what a bad King looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think if, if someone is, is reading the text and sensitive to that and, and seeing the forced labor of Solomon and seeing the, the high taxation that benefits, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, his tribe and the, the contrast between the way the tabernacle is built and the way the temple's built. I think it's there. I just wonder if in popular culture we don't see it because of his, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, Solomon was thinking, yeah, okay, I, I've compromised Torah, but I have really expanded the borders of Israel and the influence of Israel. And at the end of the day, Israel looks really good. And I think on some level, as far as people are concerned, mm-hmm. Solomon won that argument. Yeah. You know, that, that God might have said, you know what, maybe I don't want you to have Moab as a vassal state if it means building a temple to the Moabite God. Mm-hmm. But Solomon, Solomon does that and takes some of their gross national product and, and conscripts some of their men into military service and, and imp- oppresses them in building projects. And it makes, uh-huh. it raises, Israel, you know, the, the definitions we would have for a successful nation as you look at the ancient world Israel looks like that. And so mm-hmm. maybe in some ways, I think Solomon might've won that in the popular imagination of people. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. So when you have a text like this, as you bracket it off from a narrative and you might use it liturgically or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. preaching through the lectionary, <laughs> like what, what do you do with it? You know? Well, I think I would do what you were talking about and the talk about this as that model of, of what could be, you know, mm-hmm. talk about the foreigner, the talk ideals. about 
the ideals that are here rather than the way in which it's been. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Even the king who doesn't live up to these ideals is acknowledging right. them. He right. really is. Yeah. Actually, I'm uh, preaching on Solomon this week, and, and uh, the title of the sermon is Good Theory, Bad Practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Something like that, I think, mm-hmm. might work. Yeah. Yeah. I think about this in terms of... Uh, choices politically. It's like, well, I really, you know, I, I really like this party. They say the things I want. I know they're not going to do it because they're, they're absolutely right. don't come through. And then the other party right. is saying other things, but it's like, it's a, it's a heck of a choice, you know, yeah. it's saying all the right things, but <laughs> absolutely not committed to these, those values right. or those core principles. So, right. yeah, this is a mixture of politics and religion here for sure. Mm-hmm. Not that yeah. those were separate back then at all. No, no, those were those. And, and, the expectation is, though, that God is king in Israel, mm-hmm. and that works really well until you're king in Israel, and you suddenly realize that actually it's really cool when you're the king, and maybe I'd rather me be the king than God be the king. And, yeah. Um, I'll, build, I'll build him a nice crib, and maybe he'll be cool with that. Yeah, right. And, you know, it must be God's will, because, gosh, it makes a darn much sense to me. And mm-hmm. uh, so, Yeah. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> Solomon said, "You Solomon's telling the people, you're, I'm going to win so much, you're going to get tired of winning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, enough with the winning. Mike, Mike, Mike. Okay, let's <laughs> let's move on. I'm not. That, yeah, it's just a. I don't know where I've heard that. So yeah, let's move on. <laughs> Shall we move on to? Uh, here's a psalm. Here's a psalm please. line. Yes. Here I could read that. Why don't you read that? Okay. Um, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs. Indeed, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. It is a um, Korahite psalm. This is a song of the sons of Korah. Classic Korahite. Um, it is. Uh, temple, they love temple. Um, so that's that boy band that we've talked about. <laughs> yes, this, yes. This, this starts the second collection of the sons of Korah. The first one is back in book two, but mm-hmm. this is in book three um, on the heels of uh, Asaph, the Asaphite Psalms. Um, there are several Asaphite Psalms at the beginning of book three. Now, before on this podcast, I have talked about book three as an exilic book, that it is a a book that collects a number of songs from exile. And I think that is absolutely true. And so it is kind of interesting to have this psalm Mm -hmm. in the middle of this exilic tone um, that is celebrating temple. Now, normally, 
when people sort of read the Bible as read the Psalms as an anthology, you just pull the Psalm out, right? And, and you get songs of better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But, um, the, if you read the Psalm in the context of, I would say book three, which obviously I'm a canonical scholar and that's what Mm -hmm. I did. Um, then this temple is in the middle of, you know, Oh God, stop keeping silent. Answer us. We're suffering. Yeah. Uh, and then a lament that comes in 85 as well. So it's, it's in the middle of, of these laments. And I have actually, I've actually published and on record as saying that I think Psalm 84 is a song sung from exile rather than sung in celebration. Dude, you're going to get so much pushback on that. I know. <laughs> I know. But I know. kudos to you for get, just putting it out there, man. <laughs> man. It's, it is, you know, Mike. <laughs> not I, a, I, not afraid of the hot button issues. It, it, I would get pushed back if I oh, gave that Oh, the phones are SPL. lighting up. The phones are <laughs> glowing. If I was giving this at an SBL meeting, you know I would get pushed back. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. So regardless of what you're saying. No matter what I'm saying. But I don't think anybody here would give me pushback. But but no, I, I seriously do. I think that, you know, my soul longs for the courts of the Lord. Better is one day mm-hmm. than, than and being in talking about uh, the wilderness, the desert of Baca, that we don't know exactly where that is, but it's obviously a desert, <laughs> not, a, not a nice place. I mean, so uh, it may symbolize desert. I'm thinking that the desert here might symbolize desert. <laughs> okay. Um, and this asking God to hear the prayer and longing for the courts. I, I think this should be sung or read as being sung from a place of longing, mm-hmm. uh, less than celebration. Okay. Uh, and so, um, that is, uh, that's, and, and I'll have, you know, that I just got an email two weeks ago. Oh. Someone read that article <laughs> okay. and, uh, has translated Ch- it. Changed their into, life. <laughs> They have they have translated it into Hungarian. Oh my! And wanted my permission to publish it in their Hungarian Journal of Theology. Oh so, my! So there, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I got I got something. <laughs> I got something from uh, what is it? Something I published in 1986 on the phen- No, it was on the the grammar of Lakota. <laughs> <laughs> Someone is citing my uh, how I solved the uh, rules for uh, verbal formation in Lakota, which is something I studied when I was studying for uh, Wycliffe Bible Translator. <laughs> so I was learning a little bit of Indian. It's like, who in the world is citing this? This is that's such a wow. blast from the past. Okay, sorry, just trying to well, trying to up you there. Okay, mine mine is timely. Y- yours and, is still uh... being read. <laughs> Mine, not so much. It, it, but it was it was a nice feeling. This this guy said, you know, I've been using it in my c- classes for a while, and I was mm-hmm. wondering if you'd let me put the translation into the yeah. into our journal. I was sure. like, well, yeah, Good. of course I would. Great. So, yeah. So anyway, that's that's where I sort of approach. And, and it's interesting because what happens, and this is sort of my thesis, so you don't have to read the article, um, <laughs> is you get these these alternating celebrations between. 8045, 86, 87. I mean, there's these this celebration and 87 is a celebration of land and this is temple and Israel. Okay. And then in between that, you get these laments, mm-hmm. uh, David crying out in 86, 88, the darkest passage of scripture in the, in the Psalms and one of the top three darkest passages okay. in the Bible. 89, despairing about God's anointed, despairing about God's, um, God's king that is no longer there. And so when you read this Psalm where God, he's asking God to have regard for his anointed, 
uh, look on the face of your anointed and calling God my king, I really think that it's setting that up, that sense of, it's really setting up book four, I think, yeah. in trying to answer those questions of mm -hmm. what happened to David and how do we make sense of the fact that we don't have a temple and we don't have land and yeah. we don't have Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I think that, that that's the context I put 84 in, no. is in that context of, that makes sense. Of exile and suffering. Yeah, so, longing. I mean, in the boy, the rabbinic writings, it's after the destruction of the temple again. That's right. Like, look at all this temple stuff. It's like that right. does, does not mean the temple is standing. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> well, we've danced around the subject. Let me uh, let me just give you a segue <laughs> into what we're going to really get into. Can you see what this says? Uh, it says birds in a changing world. That's on my mug. Okay. So yes. what is up with these birds? What kind of sacrifices are these birds doing in verse three? Are these pagan birds <laughs> bringing their young to the altars of the Lord? All right. Let's tackle it. Let's not <laughs> avoid it. All right. I had no idea what you were talking about. What is going um, on here? Hey, I, I don't often have any idea. You're the one who's supposed to know what I'm talking about. So what I hear yeah, you saying is. What I hear you saying is. Oh, you're you're worried that these these poor birds are offering their children yeah. sacrifices. What is going? Oh, this is more like a dedication. Is that what this is? Yeah. <laughs> My, uh, well, there was one day Cindy was upset that the birds were eating our strawberries in the back, and I said, uh -huh. "Well, why don't you just eat a plate of scrambled eggs on the deck and let them know what you're capable of?" <laughs> Send a message. Send a strong message. Oh, wow. So that's uh, no. I I think that obviously you go. You, in all seriousness, you know, you go to a store and you go to Walmart and you see these birds have taken up root behind the letters, you know, have you seen this? Yes. yes. Or Home Depot or yes. wherever. Yeah. And, uh, or there's a, a large family of swallows that's just outside my new office window okay. in the tree just outside. All so right. I assume that was more applicable to this because yes. they have. You're, you're reminding me of a, a John Mullaney bit here. It's like, that's a bird in an airport. We've There's a bird. We've all seen a bird. We've all seen a bird. Get out of here with your bird in the airport. <laughs> so we've seen a, uh, we've seen a bird in a temple. That's what this uh, sons of Korah yeah. are singing about mm, is okay. uh, look, a bird can find a place. <laughs> kind of. Kind, How about kind of wandered off topic there? Oh, is that it? Like in like dwelling? This is part of the dwelling imagery. It is. Ah. It is. Bird, birds are living at the temple, okay. and God doesn't seem to get upset about it. Okay. Because um, it's hard to get them out. It's like Home Depot. Once they're <laughs> over there in yeah. that air, just yeah. let them stay. They're not making that big a mess. Once I was in a department store, and I was looking at like bright colored shirts, and suddenly I'm noticing the pile next to me. There's a parakeet sitting <laughs> on a colored shirt that was a similar color. It's like, what is going on here? That's yeah. an interesting and it's a, that's an interesting great story. story. Yeah, so that's bird, good... birds, they they're there. They're all around us. I think that's the takeaway. Sometimes they're insiders. You don't even realize. And apparently, God's not too upset about them living yeah. there. I think. No, that's I, I didn't even tell anyone. I said, "That's cool. He's cool. This is a chill bird." I'm you don't gonna... want to rat out the bird, man. No, money, right? no, uh, -uh. no. Yeah. Uh, let's see. All right. Well, let's get in the prophetic uh, chronology here. Eighty-four ten. <clears throat> one day is like a thousand. So this is like an apocalyptic. So that's roughly, that's roughly three and a half years. Prophetic clock is ticking. The one. At this point. The one. Minus uh, uh, 70 times. The yeah. Seven pick up the newspaper and seven weeks. triangulate what's going on here. Uh, I no. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> In fact, 
This one of my favorite things about my new place that I live in, and it's actually the the church is only about a half a mile from CIA headquarters oh, in Langley. Okay. And uh, as you drive past the entrance to CIA headquarters, of course, there's a lot of fencing. You might be surprised mm-hmm. to learn there's a lot of fencing yeah. around yeah. that area. They're not yeah. they, like like they sword. Just want sword play like to people they, with. With no, no, they, they, they don't want folks just wandering in. They, they yeah. have you mm-hmm. know protective things up. And there's warning signs, but apparently these warning signs are so old that most of the writing has faded off the warning sign. Oh. And so all that is on the sign, and I've got, you know, taking pictures of CIA headquarters make people nervous, <laughs> so I haven't figured out how to do that yet. Yeah. But uh, so as you go by, there's these little white signs on the fence that just say, no. Well, you know, I think that's because they know what you're thinking. (laughs) You know what? You know what? Just know. Just know. You should. I would wear. No. Wear your foil hat when you drive by there, (laughs) so they don't know that. So one of the church members is a uh, well, several of them are actually former agency members, but this uh, one was a former director of CIA Tech, and was driving by. I said, so no. And he said, what? And I said, that sign, it just says no. And he just started laughing. <laughs> he thought that was so funny. Like, you know what? Just no, just no, just no. Yeah. Well, let's do a shout out to all our CIA uh, members. Well, we have are, some listeners are, now. In fact, that individual oh, is, a, is a current listener. You're half probably... a mile away. We have listeners. They're, they're listening. <laughs> I'll tell you. Well, he's a, he's a regular listener to our <laughs> podcast. Okay. And I will probably get, uh, get some get you uh, in grief trouble. for having this yeah. conversation. Yeah. All right. On an open podcast. Then you can shoot me an email if I need to edit this out. Okay. <laughs> you ready to move on to Ephesians? Or, or it may show up and it's not even there. <laughs> That's right. I did not edit you, it out. You may not have to edit it out. It may be taken out. That's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get off this topic. They're triangulating our position even as we speak. Reading in Church is proud to partner with Audible.com. For you, the listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, MP3 player. Surely you can find something interesting in all of that. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash readinginchurch. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash readinginchurch for your free audiobook. Go there today. Are you ready for Ephesians 6? Yeah, let's, uh, let's go there. All right. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the, the spiritual power. forces. Fight the power. <laughs> against the power. Give me a moment. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, you know, I saw. Can you use this term? I saw this in a translation or in a commentary. Cosmocrats. 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 <laughs> yeah, powers in heavenly places. Cosmo. Cosmocrats. <laughs> it's like that does not trip off the tongue. I like it, <laughs> yeah, though. Yeah. Uh, verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done ex- everything, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, fasten the belt of truth around your waist, put on the breastplate of righteousness, as 
shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready. <laughs> Put on rec- shoes. I don't. I don't <laughs> have anything candy for that one. No. <laughs> Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at, uh, at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. Ambassador in chains. That's metal. Wow. Is, <laughs> not as I mean, not as metal, metal as eating my flesh and blood. Yeah, that's yeah. The, the next the next verse. I was actually just reading through this this morning, reading uh, uh, back. Okay, I, back. I don't think anyone's going to believe we do any preparation. Yeah, but go I, ahead. I, 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 Your story strains like, credibility from the beginning. What am I going <laughs> to talk about? And I just made the. I just read without stopping from Ephesians six to John six, and it's like, whoa! Mm-hmm. It's just. <laughs> Jumping back into John six, like man, I got to warm up. I got to loosen up for that. Jeez. <laughs> stretch, yeah. gotta stretch before you get oh, there. It's very metal. I do love how how you know he's got these specific metaphors, and then as for shoes, find some yeah. shoes and <laughs> whatever works for you. I don't know metaphor that doesn't quite always. Yeah, <laughs> it's still working it out. Now, this is a yeah, this is an extended metaphor. Um, although I don't think it's an allegory. As some people. Take ah, it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, so even, even, um, well, a, lo- a lot of commentaries, you know, go that direction, but commentaries that say, well, I don't think there's a one-to-one correspondence between this, this sort of, uh, armor and the sort of things you would see on a, a Roman soldier and, uh, specific things. And then they would get into the specifics. The they specific things. You simply right. cannot resist. And that's the power of a, a metaphor like that. It, it, uh, it's not necessarily a one-to-one and, and, and everyone who does that, you don't come up with the same things. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. a, it is, uh, I think that's the way our brain works. You know, this is, it's powerful to uh, have this, these, these images and these um, uh, kind of a illustrations, graphic depiction of, uh, you know, the kind of task we're being called to. Uh, on the other hand, uh, really the only command there is to, to stand. Okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's what we, that's what we do. We don't, uh, I don't know if you've ever stand, been, therefore. Yeah, been in a church like this, uh, people, there are some people, and I, I applaud you for not doing this. They cannot get through a prayer without rebuking the devil <laughs> uh, <laughs> or bu- or binding something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Can, can we just eat our dinner without, <laughs> can we just not bind demons before we <laughs> pass the salad? Um, well, it depends on the salad, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but bind the demons of uh, indigestion or something. Right. Uh, <laughs> we're not actually called, we're not so much called to do that. I mean, that's not what you see. I don't want to. You know, growing up in the in the West in a very uh, not supernatural uh, culture uh, in, in modernity, I don't want to discount that. But but on the other hand, the, you're talking about invoking a victory uh, that's already been won, and you're simply called to stand and uh, mm-hmm. and stand in that truth and uh, stand fast. Uh, maybe by implication, uh, praying, praying for one another, praying for Paul, praying for other ministers, and uh, praying for strength to be able to stand. Um, and really, that was the genius of uh, of the Roman army is that they're kind of equipped to with these huge these huge shields that they interlock, and they 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 basically they're unbreakable forces that they could stand anything. You know, once yeah. they once they've got all their shields up and over them, it's like. They're kind of independent, you know, indefeatable. So, um, 
I can, I can get, you know, you can either get there through the, through the, you know, you can go deep in the Roman imagery and get back to like, you're just called to stand. Okay. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not called to do all these other things you might do with these weapons. But, um, but that, that is the, uh, the over, overarching. It's well, I have, I have heard as people have, you know, done sermon series and broke down each of the responsibilities for each of the things mm-hmm. that we have going mm-hmm. on here. Yeah. Um, that the fact that we don't have anything covering our back, I've heard two different sermons on that. I've yeah. heard one that meant that means you don't retreat. And I've had another one that meant that said that that meant you fight back to back. Um, but I like your idea of standing, uh, as an answer to that a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. There, there, you know, this, um, do you call it a phal- phalanx? phalanx. Yeah, a phalanx that, yeah. They, they've got this discipline. They've got this, mm-hmm. um, you're stand, You're not standing alone. You're work, you're kind of interlocked with others, and, uh, and, and that's really designed for uh, not retreating um, yeah. and uh, being being uh, an unmovable force, really. Um, well, and that might be helpful for us to remember is that I mean I'm assuming that the yous in this passage are all plurals, right? Yeah. They're all y'alls, yeah. and yeah. so right. stand therefore is y'all stand mm-hmm. therefore, not hey yeah. you guy by right. yourself stand right. there. That right. notion that you are standing in a phalanx, I think, is a helpful metaphor mm-hmm. here. Yeah, and uh, that would that would make perfect sense of praying for Paul and fellow ministers and or um those who read this as uh, from the hand of a disciple of Paul um praying about that but but actually taking away the message that they're praying for themselves who are going to continue mm-hmm. this this message mm-hmm. of the gospel that that Paul brings so um you've got the mixture of um well let me back up to uh, a lot of, this is reminiscent of Isaiah um somewhere in the 50s 57 or 59 where it's talking about this is God's armor that mm. uh that uh God is is fighting for Israel. It's not as extended as this, but it's definitely reminiscent of the beginning of this and Paul goes further with it. Um but um <clears throat> so it's not as though this is excuse me. It's not as though this is simply uh he's creating this uh out of thin air. This is has a, a scriptural background. On the other hand, he's a pr- he's a prisoner who probably was guarded. Right. By uh, Roman soldiers, I don't know they would have all this battle armor, but uh, certainly a, a subjugated people uh, would be familiar with this. This is a, a handy illustration. So you have these huge shields, they're made out of wood, and they've got leather covering, and they soak them in water because mm-hmm. fiery darts is uh, right. also something that those shields could stand against. So, and you also have uh, angelic powers, mm-hmm. um, angels firing. Uh, uh, fiery arrows. I think we know who we're talking about here, right? Uh, no. Cupid. Ah, we want to envision Cupid. All right. Let's... That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes. I mean, who else? Do you name another angel that you know with a with a bow and arrow? Okay. And in actually, in Greek mm. mythology, it's fiery. Okay. Yeah. So I'm envisioning a Christian line of Valentine's cards <laughs> that, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I, I haven't fleshed it out, but it does involve Cupid and a Roman soldier. You know, I, I don't think that people realize that much of the time in my head is spent wondering <laughs> just exactly how far do I go with you on this journey that we're going to be on? I mean, 
you know, in a faculty meeting, I'm willing to go a lot of places. <laughs> yeah, um, because that's the only interesting thing going on. Exactly. Right. But uh, uh, on the podcast, I usually just let you I'm run until you tire yourself out. Here's what I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Charlie Brown kicks the football. Or tries to. And I'm surprised that when I raise my hand in a faculty meeting, they still Anyone call on Anyone calls me. on you. I know. It's I have so no idea. Amazing. In fact, this week alone, I have mentioned twice the story of, uh, I have two questions. Uh, one, where are we going? And two, <laughs> why, why how do we this, get in this hand basket? Why am I in this hand basket? Yeah. Yes. That would have been appropriate. Yes. yes. Oh. So anyway, it's been. <laughs> did I say that in a meeting? You did. You oh. said that in a meeting to a previous president. Uh, you were called upon, and you said, "I have two questions: one, uh, where are we going, and two, why am I in this handbasket?" <laughs> so, oh man. Uh, well, they forget so, that I ask stupid questions, and I forget that I ask stupid questions. That was so. eight years ago, and you're still employed. I don't understand that at all. So. Anyway, but you sure made me laugh, I'll tell you. I just get the popcorn, you know? <laughs> yeah, last, I believe the last question I asked was, uh, in a faculty meeting, if memory serves, is, and will we have to provide our own straw? I was asking about the building the pyramid. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> the academic <laughs> pyramid. Right. Oh, man. Oh. So anyway, yeah, this is Cupid, and... <laughs> No, Join me no. as we stroll down this cul-de-sac. I don't think so. I don't think so. Do you want to talk about praying all the time? Well, well actually, there might be something to that. Uh, in the, not in the uh, popular culture sense that we deal with Cupid. Of but Cupid, Cupid and Eros uh, are depicted as, you know, shooting fiery fiery arrows. And uh, it could be it, one of the things you could stand against is, I mean, that's that's something a Gentile audience would actually uh, yeah. connect with. I mean, not, I mean, we've got a fat little baby with an arrow that, you know, right. Wouldn't, right. wouldn't hurt you much or it's romanticized, but, uh, love and, and eros are something that, uh, are fiery things that, uh, if you allow them to, uh, to, uh, uh, inflame you. So there's a lot of things one, you know, generally might stand against, uh, in terms of these, uh, these powers. Um, this makes sense. This, uh, another, another place that people go, take a deep dive is into these cosmic uh, hierarchies and the powers. Right. And right. it's probably best to locate that within the context of Ephesians, where our salvation is depicted as being uh, caught up into the heavens above those powers mm -hmm. and principalities where the triumph has already taken place, at least in the sense that we are in Christ who has been exalted above these things. So mm -hmm. this is not a new topic that we need to uh, parse um, and then, and then indeed, you know, stand and rebuke these things as we're praying and, and things like that. It's mm -hmm. probably part of the larger rhetorical, uh, world, which is the world that both Gentiles and, 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 uh, mm -hmm. Jews in the, in a very, uh, apocalyptic, we would call it apocalyptic in a biblical sense. Um, this world is very populated by hierarchies of angels that, uh, are menacing and have power over your life. And this is, mm -hmm. this is not evoking that to become a peripheral discussion or get into uh, um, things that are unprofitable, but uh, to say that world that, that we take for granted, God has triumphed over that in Christ, and, and you are in Christ, and, and you're, you're called to stand against that because you have been uh, seated with Christ in the heavenlies, uh, far above all these things. So um, stand in, in realization of that. So, 
So there. <laughs> so, so. I, I think that's how Paul I think originally that's what closed he says. this letter. I think that's yeah. 621. <laughs> that is so, so there. there. <laughs> so there. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> As a pleasant odor unto the Lord. <laughs> no, wait, that's not right. <laughs> I t- speaking of pipes and smoking, <laughs> oh jeez! <laughs> I was borrowed my uh, son's car, and he had a oh, he had a uh, one of those tire gauges. You know, oh, yeah. I brought it, and I go. So let's talk about this little pipe, okay? <laughs> let's have a conversation. <laughs> I think oh. we need to have a talk. That's funny. Yes, it's a special moment <laughs> between a father and a son, <laughs> and you confront him over his tire gauge. I think we're ready to go to John, aren't I, we? I, all, every indication would be that. <laughs> yeah, that's where we seem <laughs> that to be. I'm on, I'm on empty. Because I, in my mind, I've, I've started recycling back other things I remember you saying in faculty meetings. Uh, and so <laughs> My PSI where, is gone, okay? My, my one that I did love is the meeting we had with the dean in the department, and the dean was saying, said, well, the president was wondering if, if, this, if you had uh, a little extra money to have your own dream project, what is it that you all would want? And this moment of quiet, you turn and looked at me and said, jetpacks? I think jetpacks. <laughs> I think we all want jetpacks. Yeah, by this point in the 21st century, yeah. that we'd all have jetpacks. Oh, John chapter 6. Or a <laughs> segue. Bit. I asked for a segue in, in that, that big classroom you that you teach in. It's really long yes. and wide. I think we need yeah. you teach in here to just keep a segue in the corner. John 6, 56 Speaking to 69. Speaking of segues. <laughs> smooth. Oh, wow, that hurts. He's, okay, people who, need to limber up because uh, this gets metal really quickly. Remember, remember where we were? Okay, here we yeah. go. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Um, <laughs> wow. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching at the synagogue at Capernaum, um, which I have a picture of in my office. Mm-hmm. Uh, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about him. <laughs> or some translations say, so they, they said, this they is so metal. <laughs> it is difficult. <laughs> or this is a difficult word i think it is in some translation okay Okay. jesus being aware his disciples were complaining about it said to them does this offend you then what if you were mission accomplished (laughs) then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before it's the spirit that gives life the flesh is useless the words that i've spoken to you are spirit and life but among you there are some who do not believe for jesus knew from the first who were the ones who did not believe and who was the one that would betray him And he said, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. All right. And uh, I think I'm just going to read what's uh, what's after that. I think it's a verse, oh, yeah. or, verse or two. Let's see. Uh, I just think, I think it's funny because Jesus <laughs> Jesus answered them, "Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil." He spoke of Judas's son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was to betray him. Well, we don't even know about the twelve. He has, there's no choosing of the twelve. There's no 
prominence mm. given to the 12. It's only two places this shows up, right here and then uh, 20. I think the 12 were gathered, maybe, or something mm. about the 12. So it's there's no... There's no stories about the 12. And uh, so Peter and the 12, they just don't have the same sort of uh, installation, you know, of their mm. leadership. Um, and it's kind of ironic because it's probably assuming that people know these these uh, these traditions. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the way it shows up here is like it's not so much a choosing as a uh, everyone else is gone. There's a winnowing and they're left, which is... Fitting, okay, because it's talking mm-hmm. about people who um, um, endure and uh, don't turn away. It really mm-hmm. is uh, an offensive thing that uh, everyone by this point has left, and and not just the crowds, but people you would call disciples. Many of his disciples, disciples turned, back turned back and no longer went about with him. Mm-hmm. So it is an interesting extended reflection on Jesus as the bread of life, which certainly could be meaningful in and of itself, but it may also have something to do with identifying with this community. Um, you know, we talk about John's writings having a, a, a resonance in his ministry and in the life of the community at the end of the first century, and, and really a kind of a, uh, a universal truth. But on the level of uh, the life of the community— this is a community that's been kicked out of synagogues. This is a community right. that's uh, been uh, excommunicated and uh, are outsiders. So to participate in that communal meal, to identify with this community, says something. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this ostracized people, this, uh, this might be both uh, that binds them together, um, but also really s- kind of sets them off as... Uh, mm-hmm as really those who are a target, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, I don't know, I'm trying to think of words for talking about the, uh, the be an ostracized community. I forget what this well, is. It, well, it's something to, to help that community understand why it is that they're having a difficult time mm-hmm. living yeah. in, in yeah. the world. Yeah. You know, and, and, the, and it, you're the ones who are able to get this and that's going to make it hard for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it would, and it was, Played out in in the life of Jesus, you know. It's uh, yeah. So it's a continuing or kind of really coming to a crescendo of this offensive language uh, about uh, his flesh, uh, eating his flesh, and he's trying to speak to those disciples who are following him on a very surface level, on a level of flesh, in, in one mm-hmm. sense that they've seen the miracles. There are re- these reminiscent of uh, a mosaic sort of. Uh, um, prophet or the prophet that Moses talked about. And they're trying to push him into categories like Moses. Oh, they expected Moses to perhaps return or a Moses-like figure. Probably by this point in uh, Jewish history, there is these other, these other books of uh, patriarchs who have ascended to heaven. You know, some mm-hmm. of this language of, if you can't, if you can't handle this, what, you know, how are you going to handle if you see the son of man, you know, ascend mm-hmm. back into heaven? Um, some of this this flesh language, which is offensive, and Jesus says the flesh uh, is useless, verse sixty three. Mm-hmm. That's not entirely true. If you if you read the entirety of John's gospel, it's the flesh, the incarnation, that reveals right. the glory of God. That is a revelatory, unless you just see flesh. Okay, just like this okay. miracle is revelatory, unless you just see bread, lots of mm-hmm. bread. Okay. Or if you want, just see Jesus in the mold of um, 
Moses. Uh, he's mm-hmm. another Moses. Well, the prologue really goes out of its way to say, yeah, Moses was great and gave us mm-hmm. the law, but here's someone who's bringing, uh, you know, abundance of, of revelation, mm-hmm. abundance of uh, glory, uh, grace upon grace. So you can't simply force him into the mold of uh, uh, heroes of the past. He's mm-hmm. he's transcending those. And, and uh, he's trying to get them to see past that. And it really is the crucial thing, whether you follow Jesus for the signs or whether you understand something about Jesus through the signs. And he's being provocative because he wants them to make that transition, and uh, most don't. So it is an interesting extended metaphor, uh, extended uh, reflection um, that mm-hmm. could be understood on a number of levels, like, like, all, like all of Jesus' signs. Speaks to uh, something historically, something life of the community, and also something, something for us to chew on as well. Uh, oh. Every day. (laughs) Sad trombone. Okay. You know, I've always studied uh, Peter. Peter's always been um, a foil for the beloved disciple. And I don't think I've really studied Peter. I don't think I've given him his own when I've read John. Mm -hmm. But um, there is a, there's been a study recently, I forget who the author of, but he's really dealing with Peter as a character uh, in in John, and it's much more positive than I than I realized. Um, it may be that Peter is really getting it. I, I mean, he says they say we the confession is. Let's see, what does Peter say? Where is his confession? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Yeah, and I'm looking for that, and I'm not seeing it on my page. What verse is that? Sixty nine. Sixty. Okay, I'm looking above that. Okay. And that those are all uh, perfect tense. We've come to believe, and you know we've we've had this realization. So he really is saying the right thing, and mm-hmm. this would be the equivalent of Peter's the Christ. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This would be that point because that's not in uh, this gospel, and probably mm-hmm. it's closer. That language is upon the lips of Martha, actually, at mm-hmm. the at the raising of Lazarus. But within the trajectory of Peter. Um, it seems to be the case that uh, he is one who is immediately sought out when was it uh, was it Andrew? I forget. Mm-hmm. I forget who seeks him mm-hmm. out. But yeah. the first thing that when when Andrew is converted, first thing he thinks to do is I better tell Peter. Well, that's yeah. interesting. You know, Peter's this mm-hmm. this leader who really needs to know about this. And then and then uh, like that confession when Jesus changes his name in the synoptics. That immediately happens in chapter one. You know, you've mm-hmm. got everything has already happened in chapter one. So it's like, well, what's left? You know, but mm-hmm. uh, Peter's name has changed. And so that is kind of uh, proleptically looking forward to the guy. This guy yeah. is, hasn't done anything yet, but he's going to because in, in, in scriptural tradition, someone gets their name changed. Some, they do something significant yeah. that right. warrants New that. life starts here. Yeah. 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 And they're, they're someone to be, uh, to be, there's something to model about them. So, when you just play Peter off against the beloved disciple, he doesn't come off that well. But if you just trace out his trajectory, uh, he is one who's who's uh, followed Jesus and mm-hmm. has been singled out and is recognized by others as a leader. And he is one who's listened and uh, has believed. He's uh, mm-hmm. it, th- What's offending people are Jesus' words here. Uh, it's easy to believe the signs, but hard to believe Jesus' words, as someone put it. P- 
Peter is one who's believed Jesus' words. And I, mm-hmm. I think... I don't have well, a... that's actually what he references in 68. You have the words of eternal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that is directly what you're saying. Moving, moving beyond the signs to Jesus' words, moving beyond uh, uh, following to, you know, to dwelling and abiding with him, with Jesus and keeping his words, really the trajectory of a disciple. And he's, he's fulfilling that. Um, 660, I believe, is actually should be phrased, when many disciples heard this, they said, not this is a difficult teaching, but this is a difficult word. Yeah. Um, who can accept it? Uh, you get the word, the word play a little bit clearer if you would, if they had just translated it that way. Well, that that is a a really important word play at yeah. that point, then, right? <laughs> yeah. Some disciples say this word is difficult, and Peter says you've got the words of eternal life. Right. I mean, that's yeah, that's a rather important word play there. It, it is, which which uh, which raises some interesting translation issues. You, you got to be looking at the big context to know what the right word choice mm-hmm. is for this mm-hmm. for this particular context. So. Um, I'm hoping memory serves. That's what that, that's what that is in, uh, in Greek, uh, Rhema. This is a difficult saying, or this is a difficult mm-hmm. word. Um, but yeah, that is, uh, that is not important. logos. Uh, <laughs> n- I don't think so. I don't think okay. so. Uh, I don't know where you, you, I've already shown you with my iPad, the mess in my office. So I yeah. won't go searching for my Greek text. Well, I will. So I've got mine okay. pretty close here. Yeah. So. So it is about um, it is the distinction between Jesus' teaching and uh, his 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 words, as opposed to those are still following from for the signs and don't. It see is actually a, logos. It is logos. Okay. Yes. I think in another place it is. Uh, the, you know, people would hear those the same, Rama or or logos. Um, and I'm, I'm immediately thinking about people who, you know, certain word of faith people who make a distinction there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a spoken word, not the other word, uh, which is not a distinction, actually, that the, the Greek text makes. Um, but yeah, it is, it is in the larger context. I mean, there's probably a little variation. I forget what verse would have the other um, version. But yeah, I think it's important to, to, to hear that that's, that's a word there, that it's the very thing upon yeah. Peter's That what Peter's lips. confessing. Yeah. And the yeah. I, the study of Peter that said he is kind of an ideal audience. He is one who's listening and wants to understand. And even though he may not understand everything and he's struggling, he is not falling away. Mm-hmm. And at, at this context, you think about what the context was in the synoptics. That confession made sense, as in the light of the uh, the light of that's when the predictions of the cross start to show up and mm-hmm. and Jesus raises the question who do people say that I am but in this trajectory it is here's a community uh that's composed of people who haven't fallen away and uh, there's yeah. been a big falling away and this is the kind of leader you need uh, for yeah. that sort of community someone who's going to stand and not uh and not depart Jesus that's kind of the mm-hmm. qualification and one who's going to do that and, and continue listening to Jesus' words and mm-hmm. and and lean in toward a deeper understanding of that. So it's an interesting portrait of leadership, very different than the portrait painted in the synoptics, but quite appropriate for this story. Yeah. Oh, that's so helpful. I mean, it is. It's yeah, I found that helpful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> what was that, Alexa? Uh, Alexa wanted to participate in our it's conversation. Chiming in. So, so I thought it was helpful. Um, <laughs> well, I hope that uh, we've 
given you something this week. I uh, hope you've gleaned something. Um, if you asked Alexa that, something about one of these texts, would she answer? Uh, she might tell us where it is. But, you know, ask uh, her what she thinks about John 6. Uh, I can try. <laughs> Alexa, what do you think about John 6? Alexa, stop talking. <laughs> she decided to run a chat bot. <laughs> so, okay. She's fallen away. She's fallen away. She could not grasp that teaching. Okay. So, oh, well, I'm going to try and close this again. Right. I hope you've All had right. a good week. Uh, Shut and her down. Something. Uh, make sure and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Send us an email at readinginchurch at gmail.com. And uh, we will get back to you. So. Have a great week. Have a great week. Blessings. Blessings.